Hey, good morning. It's really good to see you. I am Brad. I'm the senior pastor here. And uh, if we haven't met, I hope before the day's out, we get the opportunity. Uh, If you haven't been here the last few weeks, we are in the middle of a series on legacy. It's called Legacy Outlive Your Life. And we've been talking about things that we can invest in uh, that can outlive us. And so we've talked a lot about generosity. I think probably one of the uh, foundational aspects of living a life that goes on past you is living a generous life. We talked about uh, what it can mean to be a parent, either of your own children or a surrogate parent to someone else. We've talked about uh, your vocation and how what you do for a living uh, can have an impact on the people around you. And we talked about being mentors. So what I want to talk about today, what I want to tell you today, is that you can do all of those things. And you can do all of those things well and end up disillusioned, exhausted, and depressed. Good news, right? (laughs) So the last four weeks, what was it all about? No, but seriously, what we're going to talk about today is what I'm calling an X factor. It's the one thing that turns all of those things into something that makes a difference and lasts. Because you can spend your lives doing all of those things and come to your last day in your last breath, disillusioned, exhausted, and depressed. Um, I had a friend once who was on the math team. She was a mathlete. Um, I was on the math team for a year. I, <laughs> I didn't like it, but uh, that's another story. Um, but she, she was good at math. She was on the math team, and she went to a really good school, really good high school that um, did really well, and she told me a story about a bus ride home she had once after a victorious math competition. Now, I don't know her coach, and I wish I could have been there to experience this, but it sounds like he'd seen a few too many sports movies, and that when he got on the bus, instead of encouraging the troops uh, for having won this great victory, uh, he be, sort of berated them and pointed out everything they did wrong as a motivational tactic, I think. But when he got to her team, which was called calculators, I guess they use calculators to do their problems, um, it had occurred to my friend that she got all of the answers, or almost all the answers, absolutely correct, but she forgot to do one thing. She put the answers, but she didn't put X equals the answer. So she got zero credit for all of the correct answers that she got. She did all the work. She had all the right answers. All the right things were done, and it counted for nothing because she didn't put X equals. And what we're talking about today is the thing, the X factor, that you can do all of these wonderful things and end up miserable without this. We're going to talk about how that's possible and what the X factor is. But to give you a clue, I want to read you an introductory scripture. This is written by an early church father called Paul, writing to one of the churches he started. You may have heard this. This is a a, a famous passage, whether you're a Christian or not. If you've ever been to a, a Christian wedding where there's a Bible reading, it's a good chance this might have been it. And Paul writes to the church, um, and he's writing in the middle of this longer discourse, this longer sermon, if you will, about how they can use the gifts that God has given them to change the world, 
talks about all these spiritual gifts and how they can use them, how important it is. But then right in the middle, he stops and he writes this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Another translation says, if I sacrifice my body to the flames, if I'm a martyr, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. It doesn't last. So our X factor today, you probably figured it out, is love. Now here's the thing. There are a lot of songs written about how the X factor is love, right? This is not a new idea I'm giving you, right? All you need is love. You know, when you go to weddings, they say, oh, you can make the bride and groom kiss if you sing a song with love in the title, right? And there's a million. It goes on all night long, right? But what I want to say today and what I want you to consider is that there's something different that's offered to us in the experience of the love of God that can become the X factor in your life that changes everything so that you can live a life of action that's outward focused without burning out, without ending up exhausted, depressed, and disillusioned. So today I'm going to suggest that connecting to the love of God is the X factor in life. And so this is actually a much bigger sermon than just the wrap-up of five weeks on living a life of legacy. This is actually a foundational, transformational, I don't know if that's a word, perspective for life that will mess you up in the best possible way. Are you with me? Some of you aren't yet. Let's talk about this. Look at this. Um, Let's read our main passage for today. This is 1 John 3, 16-20. And here John's going to actually explain what love is. He says this. Now, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. If any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now, as you read this passage, I think... Um, it's pretty easy to see that it's a passage that's about action. It's about taking action. It's communicating that love isn't just a feeling or um, a thought or an idea. It's about what you do. It's about how you engage with people. But notice where the passage starts. It actually doesn't start with our actions. It starts with God's actions. So before This verse, which says, if any of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? That's very an active thing. You know, if you have something to share, share it, right? That's an active expression of love. Before John says that, the verse prior to it is this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
So before encouraging his readers and his hearers to take action, John carefully focuses their attention on Christ's actions for them on the cross. So he reminds his readers of the great love that they've received before he encourages them to act in love. He says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And this is the the, the great message of the cross, is that God himself, when he saw us in need, when he saw the brokenness in our lives, in our communities, in our systems, he was moved, he felt pity, and he acted. God was loving. God came, and though we hadn't done any actions yet to deserve anything, he carried that brokenness and that judgment on his back, and he put it to death on the cross so that we could experience and live in the reality of love that he feels for us. So he he showed love to us before any of our actions. He, He accepted us. And the hope of this is that we have the opportunity to to receive and live in a new identity as people who've received love instead of as those who are judged. And this is where John focuses the attention of his readers before he talks about living out any acts of love. Connecting to the love of God in this way I think, has some really far-reaching implications. And for us today, I think it can be the difference between ending up disillusioned, tired, depressed, and experiencing inspiration, rejuvenation, and a sense of joy in life. So let's look at this. Think of it this way. I think the love of God, instead of... um, Disillusionment offers motivation. So knowing what has been done motivates us to do. Knowing what has been done motivates us to do. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't relate to God in this way that you can't be a loving person. I'm not saying that. I know a lot of loving people who wouldn't claim any particular connection to Jesus, for example. But I am saying that we have an opportunity to connect profoundly to a deep sense of acceptance, not just from ourselves or from a parent or from a lover, but from the ultimate definer of reality, from God. And if we experience love from that ultimate place, how can we then not also be motivated to share that compassion with the people and situations around us? So Christ's sacrificial action is put forward as the motivation for our own acts of love. And it just kind of makes sense. You know, how much easier is it to show love or grace or forgiveness to someone if you've experienced it yourself? And when we've experienced these things deeply, we want other people to experience them as well. So there's motivation there. If you're feeling disillusioned in your life right now, if you're feeling like a failure somehow, what I think this passage offers us is before we get to what we ought to be doing or who we ought to be, 
We start with Christ died for us. Then the next verse is, in response to that, we ought to share what we have. Think of it this way. Instead of exhaustion, it offers renewal, the love of God, experiencing it. I think by reminding his readers of the sacrifice of Jesus, John is giving them an opportunity to reflect on and connect to that love again. It's as if he's saying, listen, if you're not feeling love for people, if you're feeling apathetic, come back to the cross. There's more to be learned. There's more to be experienced. Start here. The ought, what you ought to do can wait for a second. Come and experience love from me again. Let me show you my love again. And I wonder, have you ever experienced the love of God? Maybe in a moment in your life? It could have been in a a religious circumstance um, where someone was praying for you. It, It could have been out in nature not connected to anything specifically spiritual, but you just, for one moment, experienced something beyond yourself, something bigger, something that communicated to you that you had value, that you were part of something bigger, that you were loved. How long has it been? And we need this. We need to experience love so that we don't judge ourselves or others, so that we can share love with other people. You know, I, I have, throughout my life, had a few experiences where I feel like I've come in contact with or connected to the love of God in a very real and very personal way. Um, some of it started really early in my life. I remember being a five-year-old boy a long time ago. And um, this may sound kind of old school for you, but I remember sitting down with my father and we prayed the sinner's prayer. And for me, in that moment, I had an experience of the love of God that I felt just like I was floating as a five-year-old kid. I still remember it. That was a long time ago. You know, it's been a long time since I was five. And if... That was my only experience of the love of God. I I don't know where I would be today or how I would view people or view the world. You know, I remember being in college at a student retreat. And the the theme of the weekend was the Father's heart or the Father heart of God. And I just remember we sang this really simple song, which I found out later there's another version that really is a children's song. It was called His Banner in the but the chorus was, his banner over me is love. And we sang it over and over again. And for some reason, there was a connection there. The Holy Spirit was present in that place, in those lyrics, in my heart. And it became real to me in a new way. But you know what? I was 17, 18. That was a long time ago. And I remember it. It was foundational. But that can't be the only thing in my life that reminds me that I'm loved by God, that he cares for me. Not this summer, but the summer before. I think it's fair to say I was in the place of feeling a little disillusioned, very exhausted, and a little depressed. 
And I remember being at a conference. And if you know me, or if you know me for a long time, or if you knew me particularly when I was a teenager, I, for some reason, thought that the presence of God in any meeting would be much thicker if you were closer to the front. Right? So, like, there's a lot of empty seats in the front here. So you guys probably aren't following the same philosophy. <laughs> but as an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old man, um, I wasn't always the most sensitive because I was usually mooching a ride to church, but I would get really upset if my ride was a little bit late, you know, not thinking, hey, I could be walking, um, because I didn't want to miss one single song of worship, and I wanted to be sitting in the front because there had to be more of the Holy Spirit the closer you got to the band, right? And... Um, and I would, I would be the guy, if anyone's standing to sing a worship song, it's me. If anyone has their arms raised, it would be me. If anyone would kneel, it would be me, right? So I would be in the front row, standing, raising my hands, and belting out whatever song, right? So I go to this conference. I'm not feeling any of that. I sit in the back. The worship starts. It's kind of like our church. The, the words go up in the back. The band starts playing. I sit down. And the funniest thing happens. The presence of God is there in the back of the room talking to me in my heart. And you know what he was saying? You know what I was thinking and what was coming out of my heart? It was this, oh my gosh. I actually believe all of this. I've been spending, you know, the last 20 years or something serving in churches, loving people for a living, but I've lost connection to the sense of being loved by my Father in heaven. And in the back of the room, seated, not singing. I didn't sing any of the words. Just with my eyes closed, I experienced the presence and the love of God in a very tangible way to me. And along the way, there's been other things. My point is, The love of God isn't something that we occasionally need. That we need to contact one time in our life. The love of God is something that needs to be before us as an experienced reality. Day by day by day by day. Because it's the thing that comes before. It's the motivation for things that we do to love other people. And if we do all of those things without a connection to love that empowers us to be able to love, we're stuck. We'll talk a little bit more about why that happens. But there's a verse that comes right after this in 1 John, where John writes, and he says, we love because he first loved us. There's there's an energy, there's a a motivation that comes from experiencing the love of God that we can't do without. And when we do, we set ourselves up for some difficult circumstances in our lives. Another thing, connecting to the love of God is the X factor because instead of loading you with guilt, it helps you enjoy the journey. It's easy to brush over the first part of the verse about God's love for us, and get right to what we ought to do. And the ought that we see in verse 16 tends to focus, and tends to be the focus of much of our dialogue about living lives of love and legacy. 
In our church, we care about these things. So questions like, what ought we be doing? You know, how can we serve people in under-resourced situations? How can we stand against injustice? How can we move people out of oppressive situations? How can we get kids off the street? These are all great questions to ask. But if we jump to those questions without the first part of verse 16, without understanding the first half, we lose the heart of the verse. We lose the motivation for what we're doing. And it seems that that John is just acutely aware of this tendency to get to what needs to be done without really internalizing what has been done. And so to combat that, he does something interesting. He starts with saying, hey, remember the cross. Remember what Jesus did on the cross. And then he comes back on the other end of his uh, encouragements towards action, and he says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Notice that our actions on their own, all the good things that he's encouraging us to do, they're not enough to put our hearts at ease. Did you pick up on that? Actions, he says, have to be done in truth, not just done. And the truth is what he just laid out a couple verses before, that Christ died for us. That's the context of all of his encouragements. There's a great danger in moving to the things we ought to do without an experience or the assurance of the love that we've received. Skipping right to the ought leaves us just with guilt to motivate what we do, what we should do. Anytime you're thinking, I should do this, that's guilt talking to you. I better do this. I'm supposed to do this. I should do this. Because if I don't, what? I'm a bad person. That's guilt. Now you might say, wait a minute, Brad. There are lots of other ways to motivate yourself besides the love of God. So I'm serving because I want to make a difference. Or I'm serving because I feel called. Or I'm serving because I care. And those are all great things. Those are great motivations. But if they're all you have, eventually, it seems that it will just all turn to guilt. And as this passage said, our hearts will condemn us. I heard a sermon once, and I like the way that Tim Keller put it. He says, If we really look, for example, at all the suffering that surrounds us, unless we're thoughtless people, our hearts will condemn us. There's so much suffering. There's so much pain. There's so much brokenness. There's so much to be done. If we get in touch with that, it'll overwhelm us and it will condemn us because there's always more to do and we can't ever do enough. This is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but it's an old movie. So this is, this this happens a few times in my sermons. Um, It's a movie called Schindler's List, which came out in the 90s, people. Okay, so it's, it's you know, if I'm I'm about to ruin it for you, but you had your chance. 
Uh, it's the story of Oskar Schindler. Maybe some of you know it. He was a German businessman during World War II. And uh, when he sees what's happening, particularly to the Jewish people, his, his conscience gets to him. Um, so he starts selling his personal items so that he can offer bribes to the German establishment so that they will send him Jewish people from the concentration camps to work in his factory. And he realizes if he can get those folks out of the camps, um, he can save some by putting them to work in his factory. So he does that. And at the end of the movie, the war is ending, and he has to go on the run because the Allies are coming. And he finds himself surrounded by 1,200 Jewish people that he saved from the concentration camps. And they try to express to him gratitude. But if you've seen the movie, you know what happens. Instead of being able to receive gratitude and thanksgiving, he looks and he sees a pen in his hand. And he realizes he could have fancy pen, it's expensive, and he could have traded that for one more person. And the car that's pulled up to take him away, he realized that could have been five more people. And he looks at a gold ring, he looks at everything, and he only sees what he could have done. And he falls to his knees and he weeps, a broken, disillusioned, exhausted, depressed human being. And he says, I could have done more. And we might say, well, that's that's a movie, Brad. I mean, I think we do the same things. You know, if we're thoughtful, when confronted with all of the suffering around us, we may think, how could I go out to dinner when there are people who are starving? How could I ever take a vacation I could have used that money. I could have donated it. How can I justify this new shirt, this iPhone, going to this movie? You know, it can go into every little detail of our lives. I shouldn't be spending this time reading a novel. I should be out helping people right now. And I don't think we want to be materialistic. I don't think we want to be self-focused. But let's try to consider and perhaps even understand that when guilt motivates us, it ultimately always overwhelms us. And it pulls us down, and it steals the joy out of everything. But the hope that we see in verse 20 of our passage today is this. It says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. And the truth is, Schindler was right. We can't do it. We can't do enough. The need is too great. And that's why Jesus did it for us. That's what the trip to the cross was for, to carry the weight of the pain in this world and brokenness in this world and sin that's in this world. To communicate to us love, but also his care for the entire group of humanity. We can't get to everyone. We can't do enough. 
And so John says, reflect on what Jesus has done so that we can experience that assurance that God loves us, that also motivates us to take real action without losing the joy of life. So we can make a difference. We can live lives of action. And we can do it in a way that when it comes to be our time and we look back, we can have joy. And we can have a lifetime of joy leading up to that moment. We don't have to be disillusioned or become disillusioned. We don't have to be exhausted every day of our lives. We don't have to be ending life in a place of depression. We can experience, if we can connect to the love of God, not once, but continually, it's a renewing force. It's an assuring force. It releases joy and enables us to celebrate the victories that God works through us even as more need exists. It's the X factor for motivation, for renewal, and joy. And that lies most deeply in personally experiencing the love of God for ourselves in a real way. And this is the heart of a life of legacy. We've talked about a lot of what you can do to leave a legacy. This is the heart. So let's take a moment. Before we move into worship, before we talk about anything else, I want to take a few minutes and make some space for us to open up to the experience of the love of God. All right? So you don't have to do anything. In fact, I like, just want you to close your eyes. We're going to be silent for a little bit, so, you know, babies are awesome, but this might be the time if they start to fuss a little bit. You know, I've got one who's awesome. Keep that in mind. And I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And if you want to, there's nothing magic about this. You can put your hands sort of open, um, but you can keep your hands folded, whatever. Um, And I'm going to ask him just to come. And in a way that's real to you, begin to or really communicate his love for you. So let's do that. Holy Spirit. In this moment of silence, we open our hearts to you. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, as your eyes are closed, as we're quiet, I'm actually going to be quiet in a moment. What I'm going to ask God to do is to speak to you in a way that makes sense to you about his love. He may bring up something from your past that was painful and want to be with you and that he may just want to give you a sense of his presence may do something completely different. So Holy Spirit, come. Would you make real to us the love of God, the acceptance of Christ?
I just have a sense as we're waiting that for some of you, the first thing that comes to mind are things that you feel like disqualify you from being loved by or receiving the love of God. So just in your mind's eye, I'd like to ask you um, to take those things and leave them at the foot of the cross. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Amen.